1: Oh, good morning beloved family happy new year happy advent advent is the catholic new year christian new year beginning yesterday december 3rd and um lasting all the way until advent of 2024 so i'm i'm thrilled it's always good to start anew i know maybe most people are waiting for january 1st that's an, that's okay you can have fun and parties but liturgically we start all over now and waiting for the Messiah to come. And um those of you on our email list have already received our new uh um, Christmas Advent Christmas newsletter. And we have it from Advent beginning yesterday right through to the end of Christmas tide, the Christmas season, which is February second Candle Mass, the feast of the presentation of our Lord in the temple. And it's um Uh, it's a huge newsletter, and we've got stories in there and how to spend Advent and how to prepare your children um, for the coming of God to Earth. Um, So I'm thrilled that we sent it out by email. We have already also have it in the mail, so if you're on our uh, regular hard copy mailing list, uh, whether in addition to email or just alone, that went out in the mail between Friday and I think today, so hopefully you'll have it by the end of the week and um lots of lots of wonderful things in there, including our our new holy card for our um uh, religious organization and the the four page um product brochure which is which we also sent out in advance by email, which we gathered all our um, when we unpacked everything from St. Louis on, 15 years of, of products that we we had, um, uh, when we gave them out, we always had a few or a few hundred sometimes left over. So we, um, we put all those into a four page brochure at 50 to 70% off. And so we're basically giving them away because whatever we got, um we usually don't get it fifty percent off, but we want you to have them. They do nobody any good just sitting here. So um all of that. And um if you're not on a mailing list, you can still do that. Uh you can still sign up by going to um motherofisraels hope dot org, go to the newsletter tab toward the right, and you can sign up. And if you do, um I've told our our dear assistant Jane she's wonderful to um send it out even though it's past time uh anyone who signs up new this month will still send it to you um not the bulk mail but the but by regular postage so um you can still do that and um you can also everything we send out in the mail we also put on our website motherofisraelshope.org so it'll be on our home page as well so you can go there many ways for you to get it we never charge we don't charge for postage we don't charge for the newsletter the only thing we're charging for uh very very little are the are the products in the four page brochure so that we we don't drain ourselves of resources. Um, but it's a wonderful time of year, beloved. The world is really um, going crazy. And um, I, I can't say it's crazier than the church, uh, because what Pope Francis is doing, uh, canceling good priests, good cardinals, good bishops, um, and doing other things that, that just basically... Uh, will deplete or destroy the church. But we know the gates of hell will not prevail. And so um, uh, we we trust, and we are going ahead full speed here um, in Texas. And um, uh, we'll probably have lots of exciting updates for our next newsletter. Uh, we had a wonderful Benedictine monk who came and spent time with us, and he's a licensed architect, in Texas, though he's not living in Texas, and he um, took all our measurements, and our current place where we would have the the sisters sleep for their cells has eight rooms, but we know it'll fit 30. So he's redesigning the whole thing, and we're going to redo it um, and reconstruct it uh, to fit 30 women before we take it anymore, because while they're doing that construction We might have to sleep in sleeping bags in our main house, so um, all is well, and uh, we're very excited about all that's happening. It's gorgeous here in Texas. The sunsets are the most beautiful I've seen, um, and and the people are wonderful, and they're very trusting of God, so God bless all of you. God bless all of you, especially all of you who had a part in helping us have this property and this place where... We're so, so very grateful. We were able, We have a 500-foot well that services the whole property, and we were able to turn it on to solar from electricity. Uh, so we will have water even if electricity doesn't go out. And we're just so, we're so blessed, beloved. And we have many people that want to come. We've had visits from homeschooling families uh, that really would love us to help teach and all of that. And we do have 86 acres. And so we're considering building or having a a little schoolhouse on our property, Uh, maybe more than one room, Um, a one-room red little schoolhouse, but I think we're going to need more. So we want to use our land for the kingdom. We want to help families, homeschooling families especially, but also we want to walk the streets and uh, knock on every door, Catholic or not, and invite them to classes to um, films, to get-togethers, to Q&A sessions, uh, all of that. Everything you want to know about being Catholic and we're afraid to ask, something like that. Um, we'll have a film once a month, so we're we're very thrilled for everything. And the, the uh, neighborhood is very receptive, and um, we're looking forward to all that God will do. Um, I read yesterday, I read this morning that a bomb, one of the Catholic churches... In the Philippines, uh, was bombed during the Catholic Mass yesterday, and I think four people were killed and 15 injured. I'm not sure if I have the figures right. One of our sisters currently is in the Philippines taking care of her ailing parents. She's Philippine, and I don't know how close this is to where she is. So I ask for prayers for them, for the Filipinos, and for the Israelis, and the Palestinians, and everyone, and for our. Own government to have the wisdom um, to to assist in a in a right way. Um, okay, my beloved. I th- the best thing I always think of what we can go over, what we could read based on the situation, based on the season. And right now, there's just nothing greater than the Advent season. The Advent means coming, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who no man could look at and live. I knew that when I grew up in a Jewish home. No one could see God. Um, You know, even in the scriptures, when you look at um, um, Joshua, I think it's chapter 5, that the Lord of hosts appeared to him, and he knew he shouldn't be living. Uh, Gideon, our Lord, appeared to Gideon and to others, and they just they knew they would die they didn't because of the grace of god so how could it be that the god of abraham isaac and jacob would actually come to earth take on flesh through one of his through a, a daughter of abraham and um and bring us salvation it's um it's a mystery of love that uh I don't think anyone this side of heaven will ever truly, truly understand. But there's a history of Advent, and you may have heard the expression that all of history is his story, and it is. And I'm going to read this from the liturgical year by Dom Prosper Garanger, who wrote this in the 1800s, Benedictine, and he says the name Advent from the Latin word Adventus, which signifies a coming, is applied in the Latin church to that period of the year during which the church requires the faithful to prepare for the celebration of the Feast of Christmas, the anniversary of the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, dear ones, it's not just a good idea, it's a requirement to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And I always think back to the book of Exodus chapter 19, I think specifically where God was going to appear to the people Israel on Mount Sinai where he gave the law on two tablets of stone to Moses. And the people, in order to appear before the mountain, they would not see God. They would just hear a roar of some kind. They wouldn't hear his words, but they couldn't even come near and touch the mountain or they would die. And they refrained from marital relations, not because it's not a good thing and not a holy design of God, but because God himself was coming into their presence, which would make them perish, because not one of them was without sin. Not one of us is without sin. And so he instructed them to refrain from marital relations, to pray, to bathe, to be clean inside and out, in order to stand a distance from that mountain only Moses could approach the mountain not Aaron not anyone else only Moses to, to receive the law from God and God is coming as a baby and we need to be in as much awe as that that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob would not peer in a mountain or behind a mountain or, by, or just by his spirit but would actually come take flesh and walk among us for our salvation. There's the music for our first break, beloved. And the second break, we'll take your calls and your emails. We'll be right
2: back. Hello, this is Father Jim Netto with the Diocese of Portland, Maine. In Krakow, Poland on the 2nd of June, 1938, the Lord Jesus himself directed a young Polish Sister of Mercy on a three-day retreat. Sister Faustina painstakingly recorded Christ's instructions in her diary, that is, a mystical manual on prayer and divine mercy. These instructions became Faustina's weapon in fighting the good fight. Jesus began, My daughter, I want to teach you about spiritual warfare. Secret number three, do not bargain with any temptation. Lock yourself immediately into my sacred heart. This secret reminds us that in the Garden of Eden, Eve bargained with the devil and lost. We have recourse to the refuge of the Sacred Heart. In running to Christ, we turn our backs on the demonic. Recall also that when the devil came to tempt both Eve in the garden and our Lord in the wilderness, he took advantage of their being alone. That is one of his strategies, so we need to stick together to avoid his attacks. Be not troubled, however, no matter the great the temptation that assails you. Let the enemy rage at the door, for we are sure he cannot enter but by the door of our consent. Let us keep the door closed and see that it is properly fastened. Then there is nothing to fear. Finally, be assured that all the temptations of hell cannot sully a soul which is displeased with them. Let them do their best then. The Apostle St. Paul suffered terrible ones and God, out of love for him, would not remove those temptations. So come, have courage. Let your heart belong to Jesus. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge.
1: of uh, Dom Garanger's history of Advent. There's no way we'll complete it today, but uh, we'll continue on this week with it. Um, its Advent is the coming of God to earth in the form of a little baby. God in the, f- the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the triune God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> And Dom Gerringer says the mystery of that great day had every right to the honor of being prepared for by prayer and works of penance, which is what we're supposed to do this month in Advent to prepare for Christmas. The mystery of that great day. um, In fact, he says it is impossible to state with any certainty when this season of preparation which had long been observed before receiving its present name of advent was first instituted it would seem however <clears throat> that its observance first began in the west since it is evident that advent could not have been looked on as a preparation for the feast of christmas until that feast was definitively fixed to the 25th 25th of december which was done in the east only toward the close of the 4th century whereas it is certain that the Church of Rome kept the feast on that day at a much earlier period. We must look upon Advent in two different lights. First, as a time of preparation properly so called for the birth of our Savior by works of penance, and secondly, as a series of ecclesiastical offices drawn up for the same purpose— we find as far back as the 5th century the custom of giving exhortations to the people in order to prepare them for the Feast of Christmas. We have two sermons of St. Maximus of Turin on this subject, not to speak of several others which were formerly attributed to St. Ambrose and St. Augustine, but which were probably written by St. Caesarius of Ares. If these documents do not tell us what was the duration and what the exercises of this holy season they at least show us how ancient was the practice of distinguishing the time of Advent by special sermons. St. Ivo of Chartres, St. Bernard, and several other doctors of the 11th and 12th centuries have left us sermons, the Advent of the Lord, De Adventu Domini, Quite distinct from their Sunday homilies on the Gospels of that season, in the Capu, Capu, capitularia of Charles the Bald in eight forty six, the bishops admonish that prince they admonish that prince not to call them away from their churches during Lent or Advent, under pretext of affairs of the state or the necessities of war, seeing that they have special duties to fulfil and particularly that of preaching during those sacred times. You see, they put war before politics. Rather, they put the preaching of the gospel before politics and everything else. The oldest document in which we find the length and exercises of Advent mentioned with anything like clearness is a passage in the second book of the History of the Franks by St. Gregory of Tours, where he says that St. Perpetuus, one of his predecessors, who held that see about the year 480, had decreed a fast three times a week from the feast of St. Martin until Christmas. It would be impossible to decide whether St. Perpetuus, by his regulations, established a new custom or merely enforced an already existing law. Let us, however, note that this interval of 40 or rather of 43 days so expressly mentioned and consecrated to penance as though it were a second Lent, though less strict and severe than that which precedes Easter. So beloved, while most of Americans um, and elsewhere in the world are taking the month before Christmas to shop and have parties and feasts and eat, and all sorts of things, they're not celebrating the coming of God, they're not preparing for Christmas, and they're not engaging in Advent because they would be fasting. They wouldn't be celebrating. They would be fasting and uh, spending time in prayer and penance for the coming of God, for the coming of the child Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Dom Gerenget says later on, we find the ninth canon of the First Council of Macon, held in 582, ordaining <clears throat> that during the same interval between St. Martin's Day and Christmas, the Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays should be fasting days, and that the sacrifice should be celebrated according to the Lenten rite. Not many years before that, namely in 567, the Second Council of Tours, had enjoined the monks to fast from the beginning of December until Christmas. This practice of penance soon extended to the whole 40 days, even for the laity, and it was commonly called St. Martin's Lent. The Capitularia of Charlemagne in the sixth book leave us no doubt on the matter, and Rabbanus Morus, in the second book of his Institution of Clerics, bears testimony to this observance. There were 11, I'm so sorry, there were even special rejoicings made on St. Martin's Feast, just as we see them practiced now at the approach of Lent and Easter. We need to think, beloved, as not just Dom Geringer, but many of the writers tell us, we need to think of Advent as a mini Lent. Not so strict. Should we have meat on Fridays? We should never have meat on Fridays. The church loosened that for us. But if we decide to have meat on Fridays, except the Fridays of Lent, there's no choice. We have to have some other sacrifice on Friday. We're not absolved from sacrifice on Friday in remembrance of our Lord's sacrifice for us. Dom Garangay continues, the obligation of observing this Lent Little Lent, Advent, which though introduced so imperceptibly, had by decrees acquired the force of a sacred law, began to be relaxed, and the 40 days from St. Martin's Day to Christmas were reduced to four weeks. We have seen that this fast began to be observed first in France, excuse me, pardon me, began to be observed first in France, but thence it spread into England, as we find from Venerable Bede's history, into Italy, as it appears from a diploma of Astolphus, king of the Lombards, dated 753, into Germany, Spain, and elsewhere, of which the proofs may be seen in the learned work of Dom, Dom Martin on the ancient rites of the church. The first allusion to Advents being reduced to four weeks is to be found in the ninth century in a letter of Pope St. Nicholas I to the Bulgarians. The testimony of Ratherius of Verona and of Abbo of Fleury, both writers of the 10th century, goes also to prove that even then the question of reducing the duration of the Advent fast by one-third, from 40 days to four weeks, by one-third was seriously entertained. It is true that St. Peter Damien, in the 11th century, speaks of the Advent fast as still being for 40 days, and that St. Louis, for two centuries later, kept it for that length of time. But as far as this holy king is concerned, It is probable that it was only his own devotion which prompted him to this practice. The discipline of the churches of the West, having reduced the time of the Advent fast, so far relented in a few years as to change the fast into a simple abstinence. And abstinence meaning from meat. And we even, but that's not fasting. And we even find councils of the 12th century for instance, Sellingstadt in 1122 and Avranches in 1172, which seem to require the only require only the clergy to observe this abstinence. The Council of Salisbury held in 1281 would seem to expect none but monks to keep it. On the other hand, for the whole subject is very confusing, owing, no doubt to there never having been uniformity of discipline regarding it in the Western Church, we find Pope Innocent the Third, in his letter to the Bishop of Braga mentioning the custom of fasting during the whole of Advent as being at that time observed in Rome and Durandus in the same 13th century. In his Rationale on the Divine Offices tells us that France... Um, In France, fasting was uninterruptedly observed during the whole of that holy time. Beloved, you can fast for the 40 days. It's too late now. We have four weeks, but we should fast for the four weeks. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have a full meal. We give up dessert. It's something as simple as that. No dessert. No extra servings. Really, you can still eat. And when we want dessert, we'll, have, we'll slice up an apple for us. It's very simple. Whatever you do, a form of fasting you should keep throughout Advent. This much is certain that by degrees, the custom of fasting so far fell into disuse that when in 1362, Pope Urban V endeavored to prevent the total decay of the Advent penance, all he insisted upon was that all the clerics of his court should keep abstinence during Advent. What a sad situation. Without in any way including others, either clergy or laity, in this law. St. Charles Borromeo also strove to bring back his people of Milan to the spirit, if not to the letter of ancient times. In his fourth council, he enjoins the parish priest to exhort the faithful to go to communion on the Sundays at least of Lent and Advent and afterwards address to the faithful themselves a pastoral letter in which after having reminded them of the dispositions wherewith they ought to spend this holy time, he strongly urges them to fast on the Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at least, of each week in Advent. Finally, Pope Benedict XIV, when Archbishop of Bologna, following these illustrious examples, wrote his 11th Ecclesiastical Institution for the purpose of exciting in the minds of his diocesans the exalted idea which the Christians of former times had of the holy season of Advent. And of removing an erroneous opinion which prevailed in those parts, namely, that Advent concerned religious only and not the laity. He shows them that such an opinion, unless it be limited to the two practices of fasting and absence, is strictly speaking rash and scandalous, since it cannot be denied that in the laws and usages of the universal church there exist special practices having for their end to prepare the faithful for the great feast of the birth of Jesus Christ.
0: Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received.
2: I'm a, a widower, parent of three almost adults, and listen to you guys around the clock. Father McTig, Society of Jesus, he's wonderful. Mother Miriam, of course, the Divine Office, and many other great things that the Station of the Cross does. So, thanks very much for your great work.
1: I had a friend at work email me and tell me about the Station of the Cross a couple months after it started, and I was so excited. I tuned into it, and I found that I love the Catholic Station. If
0: you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112, then share your testimonial with us. Hi, Joe McLean here, host of A Catholic Take, heard on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern a bold synthesis of information and inspiration, keeping you up to date on the news and issues that you may have missed from a courageous Catholic perspective. That's a Catholic Take, weekday morning, 7 a.m., right here on the Station of the Cross and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Download it today. God love you. The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a non lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at com. Welcome
1: back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm live and I'm thrilled to be with you always and this is my favorite half hour of the program. Our lines are wide open and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. It does not have to be our subject. And the toll free number one 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We have an email from Elijah Elijah writes, Hi, Mother Miriam. I have two questions for you as I continue to study the Catholic faith. I am Jewish, but I'm interested in exploring Catholicism. Oh, Elijah, I'm so happy to hear that because you know that my background is Jewish, and I believe that Catholicism is the fulfillment of Judaism. All the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the Jewish Messiah Establish his church, the Catholic Church. I think you know that. <clears throat> and so Elijah's two questions. Number one, <clears throat> why did God fail to provide an inspired and infallible list of Old Testament books to Israel? Why would God suddenly provide, whoops, oh no, hold on now, oh dear. I'm so sorry, hold on, I've got to, somehow, um, I got away from from this, let me just bring it back, hold on, hold on, Elijah. Elijah, hold on everybody, be right, be right there, I shall be right there, okay, count to ten and I'll be there. Okay, here we go. Okay, I apologize for that. I just lost what I had. Okay, Elijah asks, why did God fail to provide an inspired and infallible list of Old Testament books to Israel? Why would God suddenly provide such a list only after Israel was destroyed in 70 A.D.? Well, Israel wasn't destroyed, but the temple, of course, was. And secondly, um, how could the Jews know that the books of Kings or Isaiah were scripture? These are perfect questions, Elijah. Um, And, of course, God didn't fail to provide anything. Um, He wrote uh, all the scripture, you know, is written um, by God through his apostles and prophets, all of it. And... um, and the New Testament also um, was written by Jews. So the whole thing, uh, old and new covenant, covenant and testament are um, the same word, the same meaning, just two different words that mean the same. Uh, a testament is to testify; a covenant is God's covenant with His people. It's it's the same, and they're all written by Jews. Uh, the entire Old Testament is written by Jews, and the entire New Testament is written by Jews, except for one, uh, the Apostle Luke, who um, uh, was the Apostle Paul's companion. And of course, Paul Paul was uh, an Orthodox Jew who was converted. So um, there's only one, and that's St. Luke. And he was a doctor, so not too bad. I'm I'm joking. Um, And uh, when, um, when God... Um, how do I say, why God did what he did when he did, I don't know. Um, you know, we think the world back then was like the world now. We didn't have a printing press and a number of things. Um, but let me read, there's a very good and short article from Catholic Answers, who compiled the Bible and when. And it begins, and it's not long, the Old Testament books were written well before Jesus' incarnation. And all of the New Testament books were written by roughly the end of the 1st century A.D. But the Bible as a whole was not officially compiled until the late 4th century, illustrating that it was the Catholic Church who determined the canon, or the list of books, that's what the canon is, the rule. The list of books, the rule by which the books would be determined if they belong in the canon of Scripture, um, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, the Bible is not a self-canonizing collection of books. No book can tell us what books should be in the Bible, um, as there's no table of contents included in any of the books. So when you buy a Bible, you see the table of contents, but it's the church who um, decided what books should be in that canon and therefore uh, could come up with the table of contents. Although the New Testament canon was not determined until the late 300s, books the church deemed sacred were early on proclaimed at Mass and read and preached about otherwise. Early Christian writings outnumbered the 27 books that would become the canon of the New Testament. In other words, many other books were written um, than the 27 that eventually wound up in the New Testament. The shepherds of the church, by a process of spiritual discernment and investigation into the liturgical traditions of the church spread throughout the world, had to draw clear lines of distinction between books that are truly inspired by God and originated in the apostolic period and those which only claimed to have these qualities. The process culminated in 382 as the Council of Rome, which was convened uh, under the leadership of Pope Damascus, promulgated the 73-book scriptural canon. 73, not 66. The Protestants have 66 because Martin Luther single-handedly took out seven books of the Old Testament written by the jews which he had no right to do but he did it the biblical canon was reaffirmed by the regional councils of hippo in nine in 393 and carthage in 397 and then definitively reaffirmed by the ecumenical council of florence in 1442 finally the ecumenical council of trent solemnly defined this same canon in 1546 after it came under attack by the first Protestant leaders, including Martin Luther. If you look at our Lord had, if you read the New Testament books, you'll see our Lord had what is called the Septuagint. That's a Greek word meaning 70. And it refers to the books of the Old Testament, which our Lord referred to in his writings in the New Testament. Um, And the canon was put together um, uh, again, Finally, in the fourth, by the fourth century, uh, the Old and New Testament. What very briefly and, and non-technically, the Jewish people after Christ. It was. It was the, the Jesus came. The scriptures say to his own and to those who received him. His own, as a, a whole mass of Israelites of the whole Jewish people, did not receive him, but to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become children of God, John chapter 1. And so it was, and God has always dealt with a remnant right from the beginning. It was a remnant. It was only Joshua and Caleb that went into the promised land. God has always chosen a remnant. Gideon dwindled the army down to 300 from thousands um, to show God's power. And God established his church in the Old Testament, Um, the word is, um, oh my goodness, Uh, I can't think of it, the Hebrew word for meaning the assembly of people. Um, My mind is going blank at the moment. Um, And he established a, a liturgy, a hierarchy, a way of eating, a way of dress. He set them apart to be a peculiar people in the midst of the world. And when Jesus came through the Jewish people as the Messiah of the Jewish people, he came for them. And those who believed were the first Christians. And the reason they were called Christians is not because they were non-Jewish, but because the English word for Messiah is Christ. So it's Mashiach in Hebrew and into the English translation Messiah, into the greek is christos the greek was the Koine greek the common language of the day when jesus walked the earth in jerusalem um, and then into english it's christ so his name is yeshua Ha Mashiach in hebrew yeshua jesus ha the mashiach messiah he is jesus the christ christ is his title Messiah is his title, and not his name, and it means the anointed one. And when he came, the Jews who believed uh, him and followed him on what became known as the Way um, were mocked by the Jews who didn't believe. And so in that day, the Jews were slaves to the Romans. And when you were a slave... You lived in that person's house, you served their family, you did that, all, you did it, and you were part of them. And when the seven year jubilee came, you were uh, to depart, you were to be set free. But if Jews were living and serving uh, the Romans, let's say, for all that time, or any other slave, they married, they had children, their children grew up together, they loved each other, and it would say. And uh, the, the family, um, the owners would set them free and the slaves would say, but we love you and our families love one another. We don't want to be free. We want to continue to serve you, but now of our own free will. And they were called bond servants the same way the apostle Paul calls himself a bond, B-O-N-D, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a servant or slave of one's own choice. And when they did that, the ones who were slaves said, no, we want to belong to this family. And so they took on the family's name. Let's say the family was Smith. And so they would tack on the possessive pronoun, not pronoun, um, uh, suffix. The possessive suffix of I-A-N means belonging to. And so they would be called Smithian. Smithian. um so, or uh, you know, we say Texans T E X A N S without the I is the same. It means you belong to Texas. So, um, though the Jews who were against the Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah were mocked, mocked the Jews who believe he's the Messiah. They didn't believe he was God. They didn't believe he was divine. And so they mocked them and they said, You're his slaves. It was derogatory. And so they took the word Christ in English now, um, the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Anointed One, all the same thing. And they tacked the suffix I A N onto it to mock them. You're following Christ. You're Christians. That's who you are. You're Christians, you fools but the christians now we pronounce it christian same thing christ with ian on it they loved it they said we'll take it we are following him we do believe he's the messiah we do believe he's god come to earth we do believe he has fulfilled the promises of israel yes we'll take it we're christians and so the book of acts says they were first called christians at antioch so christianity to be called a christian is to be a jew not a gentile it's to be a jew who follows christ now because the gospel was spread to the ends of the earth um acts 1 8 the holy spirit came upon those jews in jerusalem and jesus said go and spread the gospel uh, from judea to jerusalem to samaria the utter ends of the earth and the reason the gospel is spread to the utter ends of the earth, every tribe and tongue and people, is because those that remnant of Jewish people that came to believe spread out to convert the entire world. And now most of the world, the world that is Christian now, doesn't look Jewish because the Gentiles exceed the Jews in number. But it's not a, a, a Gentile religion, it's a Jewish religion. It is post-Messianic Christianity. It is Judaism following the Messiah. Please join us in a prayer to our guardian angel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. O holy guardian angel, take care of our soul and body. Enlighten our mind that we may know the Lord better and love him with all our heart. Help us in our prayers so that we may not give in to distractions. Assist us with your advice so that we may see the good and carry it out with generosity. Defend us from the insidious snares of the enemy and sustain us in temptations that we may always be victorious. Remedy our coldness in our worship of the Lord. Cease not to protect us until you have brought us into paradise where we will praise our good God together for all eternity. Amen. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as the Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to the Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app.
2: Powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest, prayer, or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can listen to any of our network produced programs at your convenience by finding us wherever you enjoy podcasts Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and the free iCatholic radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform.
0: Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at com. Welcome
1: back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. Um, Just before the break, we were... um, uh, attempting to answer eliza's uh, email on the formation of the old testament uh, canon of scripture that was um, uh, canonized um, um, how do i say um, uh, after the new after um, the destruction of the temple in israel um, if there's so much more we could say elijah let me mention one thing that um my beautiful producer, James, while we were talking, looked up the word for assembly in Hebrew. It's exactly the word I was trying to think of, that the Old Testament assembly of people was called. It's kahal. And it's Q without a U, Q-A-H-A-L, kahal, in Hebrew, is the word in Greek, ekklesia. And it means called out ones, the assembly of God's people. And so when Jesus came, he he established his ecclesia the same as gahal the new people of god built on the root of israel israel spread to the four corners of the earth there if you go to catholic.com um, elijah there is also um go to catholic.com and type in the canon of uh the holy scriptures there's a fabulous article, it's very, very long, and it begins with the canon of the Old Testament among the Jews, and then the canon of the Old Testament in the Catholic Church, and then outside the Church, and then the canon of the New Testament. It's quite lengthy, but it gives you the whole history, and um, it's, um, it, it might be very helpful for you, catholic.com and uh again the canon of the holy scriptures um uh, how the authoritative collection of sacred writings comes together it's from the catholic encyclopedia so you can you can know that it's what the catholic church it's it's what we believe it's what we teach okay um we have an email from kelly who says mother miriam can you please provide some tips for balancing the load as a homeschooling mother it's difficult sometimes to balance educating, getting to mass, etc. with all the little ones running around. I have five children, all under the age of 10. God bless you, Kelly. Thank you, Mother, you've helped to encourage me to take on the responsibility of educating my children under my own roof. It has been very rewarding, but also overwhelming at times. I would love your thoughts, Kelly. Kelly, God bless you. I I have to look it up. I think I did this last week on our website. Um, I think it was in 2020, I'm not sure, but I did an entire uh, newsletter on the subject of homeschooling. And there's so many mothers who are asking you a question. I can't keep my house clean. I can't th- keep things in order. You know, how do you manage it all? And for that reason, um, we surveyed a dozen or maybe two dozen women who were homeschoolers in my traditional parish, and came up with a dozen or more questions. Um, I asked them their questions, their frustrations, and there was one woman, Beth Neubauer, um, who was a homeschooling mom, wonderful Catholic family. and uh, she took out this this survey on for me and so many questions and had all the women, Um, answer that Uh, and so I produced a newsletter with it and uh, St. Therese of Lisieux is on the cover Um, and it's it's very wonderful so many articles on homeschooling our survey is in there how do I keep a clean house how do I manage everything the survey's in there with the mother's answers Um, good resources for you and all of that so um, maybe on our next break I'll um see if I could look up what issue it is. I remember it's kind of a lightish blue cover with St. Therese of Lisieux on the cover. Um, see, back in those days, there wasn't an option of sending children to school. There was no school. Now, I don't know about St. Therese of Lisieux's day, but back, back when, I mean, the, God never uh, developed schools. Families were responsible for teaching their children always. Um, so I love your question, but I'll just say, uh, and I'll, I'll get that. I'll, I'll look it up during the break. But I would say, Kelly, um, through prayer, um, decide what your priorities are. Because if you weren't raising five children, all under, um, did you say, yeah, five all under the age of 10, um you might have to be breastfeeding while you are uh, teaching the math. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. the best. One of the most beautiful uh, pictures I've ever seen is a mother breastfeeding her little baby and praying the rosary on the baby's toes. It's so beautiful. And so I would say, decide that you are not Houdini, and Houdini couldn't do this either you cannot get everything done if you weren't raising five children and if you weren't homeschooling them that you couldn't otherwise. So you have to know that some things have to go. You you want to see my office, it's a wreck. The rest of our priory is in perfect shape and clean. But come into my office and you'll think a little bomb hit it because I just, it doesn't mean, it probably means that I'm ADD. I don't know what it means. <laughs> but I tend to priorities and I have to let things go because I can't do it all. So I'd say the same with you. Decide what is priority. Not perfect, but priority. And that your house is not going to be always as neat and clean and dusted as you wish. Um, and just relax with that because you are pleasing God. He'd rather see you uh, homeschooling your children than than even making your bed. However... um that also I, I've gone into some homes where children don't make their bed and where they don't clean and the mother does everything and the father hardly helps as well which is absolutely wrong the family needs to do this your children need to learn to make their bed from age three on I will say that we we I grew up that way From age three on, I've been ironing since I'm five. I've been cooking since I'm five. Um, We helped with the house. We were responsible. We were taught responsibilities. We got a tiny allowance then. I think, I'm not sure if I got a nickel or a dime a week. I'm not sure. But that only lasted for a little while. We got older, we didn't get anything, because it was our duty. So, um, you need to have your children learn early that you're a family and if the house is going to be cleaned everyone has a part and if the bed is going to be made maybe not as perfectly as you would make it everyone has a part so um uh dear kelly i'm sure um oh dear we're at the end of the program i may not be able to look up that newsletter but go to mother of israel's hope.org go over to um um well there's a little search box, put in homeschooling, and maybe it'll come up if you search. I don't know if that'll work on your computer, but put in homeschooling, and it will it should come up. And if not, just scroll down a year or two on the um, uh, on the newsletter page, a newsletter link, and you will find it. It's a light blue cover. It speaks about homeschooling with a, a picture of St. Therese of Lisieux on it. You will find it. And that may help you. We also have in the um, brochure we just sent out, and now it's online, and it's in our newsletter. We have a book on homeschooling, and I think I don't know how much it was. I don't know if it's in there for five dollars. I don't know what it is. But if you can't afford it, just email me, and we'll put one in the in the in the uh, in the um, uh, mail to you. I'm not thinking right. All right, so. Uh, Go ahead and order it. Uh, You can order it online. And again, if you don't have the $5 or whatever it is, email me at mail at org, and we'll just put a copy in the mail to you. God bless all of you. And we'll speak with you tomorrow.